Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Now, um, as we get started tonight, I'm going to be talking with Penny about um, just her time at the BCM. Um, She's retiring. Um, She's retiring. Is it next month is your last official day? Okay, May 11th, so that's couple weeks away. Um, So I'm going to talk to her about her time at at the BCM, about um, ministering to college students, and about various other things tonight. Um, As we get started, is there anything we can pray for before we get going that wasn't mentioned this morning? All of us who practice softball, yeah, we're going to be sore. Sydney was running for pop flies and did good. All right, let's pray together. <laughs> Father, I thank you for, um, for laughter and for joy. Um, Father, I pray um, that you be with us now as Penny and I talk, and I pray that we'd all benefit from this conversation together. Um, Lord, I pray for the BCM at ABAC, and I thank you for Penny's um, service there. And Lord, I pray that you provide someone um, to fill her spot when she's gone. Um, and Father, I pray... Um, that you would equip that person to continue the work there um, of ministering to students and of, um, of, of doing so much work for your kingdom there. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, <laughs> I hear Haddon clapping back there. Um, so, Penny, you've been at the BCM how many years? Uh, 42. 42. Wow, that is incredible. Um, I was... I'm I'm 30, so that no, means 12 years before I was born is when you started. So um, that that's awesome. That's that's a really long tenure in the same place. So so that's incredible. Um, Adrian and I go to the BCM most Monday nights and and help um, help her there as volunteers. Adrian mentors a lot of the girls there. Um, I've led discipleship groups there before. I've I've preached there before. Um, but it's um it's just a really great thing what um, Penny does, and um and so I just wanted to take some time. We're going to do several, I'm going to do three of these this year where, where I'm talking with a person I'm here in the front. They're usually going to be about theological questions, but seeing as Penny's retiring, I wanted to have some time to talk with her um, tonight, and we will get into some questions like that, but, um, but Penny, um, it's kind of a funny, what, what moved you to retire? What, what, what was the driving point to, because I kind of assumed you'd just be at the BCM for like ever. And and you just like they'd find you dead there someday, and you know you would have just shared the gospel with somebody, and you know. Yeah, Charles, my husband says I'm just gonna die there one day, and just, they just gonna stuff me and put me at the front of the place <laughs> with my hand up saying "Hey." <laughs> but no, um, I don't know. It just you just kind of know when the time is. I went somewhere with a college group a couple, a couple of years ago, and I wasn't the one in charge. He was in charge, and I got there, and it was like. You know, it was nice. People would ask me, you know, well, what are we going to do this? When are we going to eat? When are we gonna... I said, I don't know. I didn't plan this thing. I'm just here. I'm just like you. I'm here. I thought, that's really kind of nice. Because I just got to sit on the van, talk to everybody. And, 
and, you know, do stuff. And it's like, well, this is not bad. And so I finally just got to the point where really, and things are changing in the convention. I really, I really enjoyed discipleship. I enjoyed just sitting around and a lot of the administrative stuff. I did my past ministry study two weeks ago. And I tell you what, I did a cartwheel. I was so happy to get that. <laughs> you know, and, and financial reports don't have to be, you know, it's like, I just am tired of doing that kind of stuff. Not that it's bad, and I see the necessity of it. I just don't want to do it anymore. And so I, I'm, I'm not going to leave. I mean, these people are my family. You can't leave your family. You'd like to sometimes, but you can't. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll probably quit. My last day is the 11th, but I'll be back there on the 12th because we got graduation. So, you know, it's the kind of thing I'll do a lot like these two. You know, I'll come and volunteer, probably still cook, do some groups and stuff. But I won't have to be the one to do all the paperwork and stay on people's cases to get their ministry safe done and all that stuff, you know. <laughs> you know, I won't have to be the one in charge of all that. Yeah. Yeah. What what are you other than, you know, volunteering there and, and still serving, what what are you doing next? Well, we had a girl about eight years ago that her mama died and she been with us. You know, she was like our child and so uh she married the guy that does the music over at Chula Baptist. And um, so anyway, they had a baby. And we always said, you know, I always told the first kid to ever have a child, I'm going to quit and take care of the child. Well, they were right here, and they had a child. So we're <laughs> taking care of that child. Yeah. Yeah, every, um, every Monday night when we show up, the baby's there, and, and they come and pick the baby <laughs> up. And um, him, the baby, yeah, I I'm having so many friends have babies these days that I forget the gender of each one of them. Yes, so I just keep true. saying the baby for each one of them because I, I can never remember in the moment um, whether they had a boy or a girl. Um, when you think back on your time at the BCM, what are some of the greatest things you've seen God do in the 42 years that you've been there? God, I've seen people get saved. I mean, it's like great. Like every year, there's a lot of students that get saved. And seeing that and then watching them, I can think about, one right now in my mind that got saved this semester and he came from trash ministry we have this thing where we go around every monday night and kaylee does it they go knock on doors and pick up trash over at lakeside dorm and then say you know can we pray for you and during covid this was really a good thing because people had all kind of prayer requests during covid and so this guy was one of them and you know they just started talking to him and he said well i think i might go well as a result of that he got saved and he's one of those Amen. guys, he got saved, and he just started growing. And, and that's, that's one of the greatest things is to see stuff like that happen. Yeah. Yeah, if you had to estimate how many kids have come to faith in Christ in your 42 years there, just off the top of your head. I don't have a clue. <laughs> I, I don't really have a clue at all. Yeah. Well, still, though, that, that's awesome. And, and yeah, you've, I can think of, I think, three or four just this semester that you've told me came to Christ. Yeah. And so. Um, yeah, this semester, thing. this year, we've had about 10, and that's, that's good. And it's really kind of weird because, um, and one of the questions in there is, you know, what's one of the lowest things? And one of the lowest things is this year, we probably have fewer numbers than we've had in a long time. You know, but because a lot of it's COVID, a lot of it's just different things. But I tell you what, it's been amazing because, and this is one thing that Lord solidified to me a little bit about, I think maybe, you know, it's time just do what you want to do because because it's smaller there's been more opportunity to meet with individuals to talk to individuals to share and disciple and i really feel like this is one year like i said we've had 10 people get saved 
And you can't do that when you have 100 people and you're trying to do all stuff. You know, you don't have time to talk to everybody. <laughs> and then also, you, you can meet more with people and, and watch them grow. So, you know, numbers are great. But also, not always having that big number is not a bad thing either. Yeah. Yeah. Have you found that students are more receptive to the gospel because of COVID? I think that they're scared and there's a lot of fear. I tell you, this is one of those questions later on. What's different between this COVID generation is crazy. Some of y'all that teach school, you know what I'm talking about. It's like they didn't go to school for half a year, and then a lot of them, I don't know what they did last year. And so they come to school, and I can't even put your hands over your ears. They come to college, this group, and even teachers across the board, you that are teachers probably think the same thing. It's like the maturity level is different. And so you have a lower maturity level, and then you have, you know, a lack of spiritual maturity, and it's, been, it's really very, very it makes everything a little bit yeah it's it's very different um but hopefully next year you know those kids got back in the swing of things and maybe school they don't know how to study i know your teachers have seen that they don't have to study they forgot <laughs> and it's really it's really been bad this has been a bad year because a lot of their grades are not anything like they could be because they don't have to study and for a year and a half they didn't have anybody to talk to so it's like they're just motor mouse they don't know what to do with themselves <laughs> so hopefully next year will be a lot better yeah. Yeah. I I read a study somewhere that like, even though kids were in whatever we call digital school, like it's almost like they were out of school for a year and a half and, and those muscles have atrophied and they have to um, learn how to do that again. Um, what do you, so obviously there will be someone that comes in to fill your spot. Um, I don't know that we can use the phrase, take your place. Um, but, but someone will come in to fill your spot and be the BCM director. What do you think will be some of the challenges of that next person that comes in? Some of it is going to be the COVID issue. You're still having to deal with that, you know, and the fact that, you know, they're struggling. Um, a lot of it, too. And COVID affects them a lot. I, I don't know if y'all realize this, but emotionally, these kids were really affected. You wouldn't think it would, but it really has. Um, I know that two years ago, one of the house directors told me, that 40% of the people in the in Lakeside, which is about 450 students, were on some type of anxiety medication. And I would say that's probably a whole lot more now. And so they're, they're, they're dealing with those kind of things. Because like, you know, even today, I, I was talking with someone and I thought, I really need to tell you all this stuff, but you're so emotionally drained. And, you know, it, so it makes it harder to talk to them. You know, usually I'm pretty fast forward. I just tell you what I think. But with some of these folks, you, you can't do that because they're really, they're, they're just very on a thin line of emotion. And that's going to be hard to deal with when you're trying to tell the gospel and get it across. Because yeah. with students, you have to be pretty, you know, you know very forward. Like you can't beat around the bush. You just got to be pretty literal with them. And it's kind of hard, you know, when you've got all these emotional issues to deal with to be sensitive to that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pray that the Lord provide somebody to fill your spot that has some counseling in them. Yeah. They can talk through those things. Um, tell me how you came to faith in Christ, because I don't think I know. I don't think I've ever asked you. Yeah, I was one of those folks, you know, I went to church before I was born, and um, I went all the time as a drug baby. And so... She was when drugged I was, to church. 
as a drug baby. That's what that means, just in yeah. case you didn't know. Yeah, I was drug ter- <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> My mom was not a drug addict, I can tell you that. <laughs> she's she's bad, but she wasn't. But anyway, um, we went, we we, when I was young, everybody did Bible school hopping. You went to every Bible school in town. You know, that was just what you did in the summer. And so I remember going, it was, it was at the First Baptist Church, and I went to Central. I didn't go to First Baptist and Warner Robins. And anyway, I don't know. But that guy, he was talking about salvation on that Salvation Wednesday, and he talked about hell. And I remember sitting there. You know, I'd been in church all those times, and I was probably eight years old, and I heard him talk about hell. I just thought, I wish this man would just hush. If he doesn't hush, I might die before I can make it to the front and find out how in the world I'm going to wind up there. And so that was my first initial. And like I said, I was eight. But I had been in church. I knew a lot. And I really honestly believe I got saved then, but it was not until I got older and even like really older because I didn't have a lot of discipleship. We didn't have youth. We didn't have a whole lot. We did, but I don't know. I didn't really get that involved in. I don't know why. But I remember it was probably college before. And I, you know, I read the Bible. I did all that. And I went to some youth stuff. But it was really probably college where I began to realize what it truly meant to make Jesus Lord of your life. I knew I was supposed to. And I thought I was, but until somebody, you know, really encouraged me to read the Bible and get, it's like, wow, this is what he really wants. And so, yeah. 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 That, well, that, I mean, I got saved in high school and I was, I was serious about my faith in high school, but, but I really, college is really when the Lord got a hold of me. And so that you hear that from a lot of people. I, mean, I think a lot of your students would probably say that. So yeah. that's, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, what what I found out with students is a lot of them know stuff. You know, you learn a lot of stuff when you're young, and you know it. You don't realize you know it until you go off, either college or you just go off, and then you begin to have to take your knowledge and apply it and make it into wisdom. And that's where I think that's where you really, really grow. You begin to realize, especially with these college students, they come to the point where they've got to realize, is this my faith, my mama's faith, my daddy's faith? And if I really believe it, what's it going to look like? And how do I need to really, what does it really mean to follow Christ? I don't think it means that a lot of them weren't saved. They just never understood what that meant. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something you can be praying for, you know, our students. You know, we're graduating five this year. Um, they'll, they'll be, you know, next Sunday we'll be doing grad Sunday. The sermon I'm preaching next Sunday very much lines up with that, just a preview of like, in college, students either become very serious about their faith or they depart from the faith. And so, like, pray for our graduates that, that as they move into college, the first one would happen to them. Um, one thing I know about you is that you are one of the greatest evangelists I've ever met. Um, you have shared the gospel probably more times in your life than all of us in this room combined. Um, how do you do that so freely? Well, when I first started working with BCM, it was Dennis Rogers. I don't know if any of y'all remember him. He was the youth director of First Baptist in Tifton. And anyway, he just told me, you know, I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. And he said, this is the key. He said, if you would just pray every day, God give me a love for you and your word. And out of that, a love for the people that you're going to put in my path this day. He said, you'll share. He said, you don't have to worry about stuff because if you really love someone, if you love God, you'll share with people. And if you love people, you'll do whatever it takes to reach them. And I, I don't know. I really just don't even think about it. You know, I, somebody was talking today. They said, you know, you got to find out who you really love. And you think about it, if you really love someone, 
You can't help but talk about them. It's just going to come out. Yeah. What would you say to someone who is scared to share their faith? Um, just really pray that. I mean, that's, that's what happened to me. Just really pray, God, give me a love and a hunger for you and your word. Because as you read the word, it begins to just get into your mind. And, and you, I don't know. You just can't help but share. You hear someone's story or you hear someone that's hurting. I mean, you just got to go over there and talk to them. I mean, you just, the Holy Spirit will just lead you over there. You know, I, when I get bored in the summer, which isn't very often, I'll just go to Walmart and say, all right, Lord, let's have an adventure. And, you know, even walking around Walmart, you'll be shocked that the people, that random people will just start talking to you. And it's like, well, Lord, you put them here because why are they telling me all this stuff? And you have prayer meeting right there in the middle of Walmart. <laughs> That's why we do um, mobile pickups so we don't have to talk to people at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Um, your daughter, Ashley, is now a published writer. She's written a book and published it. Um, what's it like being the mother of a published author? Well, when Ashley was little, she loved Beth Moore. Her and her friends loved Beth Moore. And she's always been a reader. So she said, you know, we'd always cut up with her. Ashley, one day you're going to be Beth Moore. You're going to be a Beth Moore. You're going to get to go and tour like that. It's really kind of neat. She worked years with Centric Kid, which is through Lifeway. And so she had opportunities to join one of the Lifeways women's team. And so she really has gone a lot with Beth Moore. Like she would do the U leads and do like little seminars and stuff. And so uh, she had opportunities to do that. And so that's really what triggered them. You know, they, she had done all this research and they said, well, why don't you just write a book about it? So that's kind of why she did it. Um, I mean, I'm really proud of her. I, I look at some of that stuff and I think, well, I'm glad you did the research and I didn't have to do it. <laughs> Um, summarize for us what Ashley's book is about. I've read it, even though it's technically a book for women, but you asked me to read it and tell you what I thought. Um, probably nobody here's read it, so summarize for me what her book's about. Well, my daughter, she works with my students about 10 years from now. She works with 20 and 30-year-olds and, uh, and all their issues. Now, you think most of y'all, when we were young, we had issues, but we don't have the issues they had. I mean, you know, from same-sex attraction to, you know, uh, sexual addictions. I mean, all kind of stuff, just all kind of stuff. And about probably 10 years ago, her pastor, which was David Platt at her church, he preached a sermon. On, it was, he called it the PG-13 sermon. And he talked about all this stuff. And she said that was like it opened a floodgate because she works with singles. And they all started talking about it. And she said, you know, I grew up in South Georgia, and I grew up, you know, at the BCM. I didn't know any of this stuff. I didn't know. So she had to do a lot of research. And she, for years, I mean, dug. When somebody had a problem, whether it was a same-sex attraction or whatever, she went and dug, what does the Bible say about it? Because there's nothing really out there on a lot of these topics. So she had done all this research and had kept up with it. And so really, that's what it is. This book is about issues and problems and this is just a normal church that she goes to it's a big church but it's a normal church with normal people in it and these are just the issues that she has faced and she wrote it so that other people that work with these people work with folks you know especially young people and then young people that are struggling with it it's got a lot of stuff like what does the bible say about a lot of these issues and all right now this is what the bible says and we're dealing with sin issues now how can we overcome these you know, through Christ. So, yeah. 
I'm glad she did the research and I didn't have to. <laughs> That's what I tell everybody. You work with young people. You better get this book because it's got the stuff to save you a lot of trouble having to do a lot of research. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, um, it's a very good book for um, especially women because it, it mostly deals with struggles women have. But a lot of things you wouldn't think women struggle with, she talks about in there, that women do struggle with this, especially single girls. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's – what's the title of it again? It's Not Just You. It's Not Just You. Not, it's Not Just You, yeah. Um, your two kids both work in churches. TJ is at a church in Boston. Ashley's at a church in Birmingham, Alabama. So T- Ashley's in the Bible Belt. TJ is in um, a very unchurched city. I did a mission trip to Boston one time, and they told us that um, – like we weren't even able to like go out and evangelize yet because the city wasn't ready for it. Like they were still tilling the ground before they could even plant the seeds. What would you say are the similarities and differences in their experiences in ministry? Well, now TJ is in Boston, and um, that's that's a different place. Not just climate wise, but everything. I mean, everything you imagine. It's like going to another country, and it is less than two percent Christian, which means. It is an establishment of an unreached people group. It's really like that. But the neat thing about it, and that's what he said, he says, is when you're there, if they're Christian, they're Christian. If they're not, they'll tell you, I'm not. And when you talk to people, they're either interested or they're not, and they're very honest with you. You know, they're not ugly or anything. They just say, well, I just don't care about that. And he said, you know, there's a lot of people, like he does a lot of his witnessing by just going to restaurants and different stuff to the people outside the church and builds relationships and just talks to him, and, you know, he can talk freely. They'll usually talk to you about Christ. And he said, and some people have come to the church and come to know Christ through that. And so it's pretty much like that, where, you know, Ashley's over there in the Bible Belt, like us, where everybody thinks they're a Christian. And that doesn't always mean they are. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a big difference in them. Um, but a lot of the similarities is, you know, you just got to love people where they are. And then just pray about, you know, the Lord will grow them up. They'll either get saved or Lord will take them where they are and grow them up. Yeah. Yeah, and Ashley, Ashley's like a counselor on staff at the church, isn't she, or something like no, that? No, she just, uh, no, that's not her job, and they really would rather do some other stuff other gotcha. than that. It's just, okay. she just, you know, loved the people and just got involved in their lives and realized these people need help. And she probably, she, she has a regular, she has a job, but she, she works a lot more hours than you know, 40 hours a week. I mean, she that's when she usually meets with people. Like at night, and, you know, just meets with them one-on-one, um, leads small groups, that kind of thing. Yeah, okay. Um, transitioning to talk about ministry to ABAC, um, so coming back to our, our region and how we can make an impact. Um, so you, you mentioned 40% of students in Lakeside are on some kind of, anxiety medication, what are some other things a typical ABAC student is going through in 2022? Well, a lot of it is, is just anxiety, and, and I think COVID helped a lot, but there was a lot before that. Students today, um, and it doesn't really matter, I thought about the socioeconomics and different kind of things, um, they don't have coping skills. When something happens, they don't know what to do. If somebody passes away, you know, just normal things that, you know, sooner or later, these things are going to happen in your life. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle it. And it's really just kind of scary that, you know, it's almost like they're just thrown out there and they don't know what to do. So they just literally dog paddle to kind of stay above water. 
So that's a lot of the issues, and uh, a lot of it is too uh, just just the world today. You know, you think about it, especially some of y'all that are older. You think about the things we face. Well, they have it through social media. Oh, social media. If they could just get off social media, that would help them so much. But, you know, just the competition and the peer pressure and social media that they deal with, um, they constantly feel like everybody's look. That's the really kind of strangest thing to me. I was talking with a girl the other day. She just thinks everybody doesn't like her and that all these people think these things about her. And I just asked her the question. I said, well, honey, when was the last time you thought about me today? She said, well, I'll tell you the truth, I hadn't thought about you. And I said, until I met with you, I really hadn't thought about you either. Now, that's about how much people think about you. People don't really think, but they, because of social media and all this stuff, they think that. Now, I want you to think about how that would mess up your life if that's what you thought all the time. So you were always worried about, am I saying the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Now, is that true? That's, that's very true. That's very, it's scary. So, I mean, they face a lot of issues that we didn't have to face. And it's really hard. It breaks your heart sometimes, the things they deal with, because they have to deal with parents' divorce. They have all these issues that just normal life has, and yet they don't know what to do. And suicide, you know, I'm always amazed. I've talked to some kids. I've talked to about three this semester that have said, you know, I really thought about it. I thought, wow. And you would have known it if you knew them. You would Nobody probably even really. They just said it was just hard to deal with stuff. And so a lot of them, they don't have the coping skills. So, you know, how, you know, I remember bleeding every once in a while when I was younger thinking those things, but that just like when those thoughts came in and went out. But these kids really did. Um, so, yeah, it's tough on them. Yeah. Um. Well, one of the questions he had on there too is what can you do as a parent or a grandparent to help, help your grandchildren or your children? I would say prayer, and especially, now I'll tell you who can cope the most, is people that are raised around their grandparents. Because your grandparents, you know, you, when you, you know, when you had children, you had to work all the time, you had to do all this stuff, and you didn't have as much time with them. But when you have a grandparent that will teach you things, and I want to encourage you, if you've got them, you need to really pray for them, and you need to spend time with them, and you need to show them how to do things, just simple things, you know change a tire, do all these things, because they're learning coping skills. They're learning how to deal with life. And I know like with my child, when he was growing up, he'd get so mad at me. But you know, when you got him in the car, that's a captive audience. Where are they going to go? <laughs> and I mean, every time I'd pick him up from school or we'd get through with a BCM function, I'd say, all right, did you see what so-and-so did? What do you think about that? Now, do you think that what they did was smart? And would you do that? And he just, oh, mama, why? But now he'll tell you, I learned so much on those van trips because we just talked about life. And that's what they need from you. And I don't care how crazy you think your grandchildren or children are, you pray because God can change a heart. I have seen grandparents' prayers. I had a girl, she was so rebellious against her, her parents. But her grandma prayed. I mean, she prayed the wrath of God on that child. <laughs> and I am not kidding. It makes a difference. It really does. So don't think that, you know, well, what can I do? You got, there's a lot you can do. Yeah. Yeah. In the same line as that, what is, what can a church like us do to help minister at ABAC? I mean, aside, obviously Adrian and I are there at the BCM, but what else could a, 
can it, just a normal church in Tifton do to, to help reach students at ABAC? Want to pray for them? I think go over there and eat the dining hall. Go talk to them. I mean, you know, it's amazing because we are from a rural school. A lot of these, they had grandparents, and they love grandparents. They love older people. Um, and, and, you know, most of them, they are just hungry for somebody to care about them. You know, I think one of the questions, I'm sorry, am I jumping across? Oh, one of the fine. questions is, all right, how can the church minister by just loving on them when they come in? Like Kaylee, I know good and well, and she said it. She's been here. When she walked in that door, y'all recognized her that she was here. You walk in a big church, you know, you, you may or may not, you know, nobody even realized that you're not been there before. But here you're recognized, you're acknowledged, and it just take time with them. You know, I had one boy, he, he knew he wanted to go to a small church. And you know how he picked his church? He went to every church, and he kind of hung around after church. And the one church where somebody said, what you doing for lunch? And he said, nothing. And they took him home and gave him fried okra and apple pie to take home. <laughs> that boy went to that church faithfully every year for four years. There is our church growth strategy, fried okra. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but, you know, just to invite them out to eat, you think, well, I don't know what to say. These, oh, they'll talk your head off if you just ask them a few questions. And really just that relationship, you know, and they are looking for a, a, a second mom or a second grandparent. And they will, you can make a bigger difference in their life than much more than I can if you can get that kind of relationship with them. Yeah. Yeah, Kayla, what is it you call Adrian? Your Tipton mom, is that right? I'm yeah. Papa A. Wow, I didn't know that one. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> grandparents. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so if we were in New York City or Los Angeles, there would be a lot of barriers to reaching college students that we can probably think of pretty easily, atheism and gender and sexuality and things like that. Um, but we're in the Bible Belt, and you're at an ag school. And so what would you say the barriers are to reaching students here that are different than those? Everybody thinks they're saved. They go to church, and they think they're saved. Or my mama's saved. You know, my youth director's saved. But they realize when they get there, and the world is thrown in their face, you know, I, I may not be. Hmm. You know, I went. I went and shook the pastor's hand when I was six. And, and a lot of people do get saved that way. My daughter got saved then. But a lot of them, they, they realize, they see a Christian that acts like a Christian, and they realize, I, I, don't, I don't live and act like that. What's different? And as they begin to hang out with some of them and talk to them, they begin to realize. And that's how I've had a couple get saved this year because of that. They went to church all the time. But they realize, you know, I don't have a relationship with God like you have, what's the difference? Mm. And it was, you know, I, well, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. And I, I truly believe in him. And, 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 they, and so, you know, they begin to say, well, maybe that's it. I just need it. So I think that's it. A lot of it is it's, they just are in the Bible Belt. So they just think I had one girl. She was from Erin County. And we were talking one day. She said, well, she, somebody said something from her county in custing class or something. She said, that was just terrible. I thought everybody during county was saved. So, you know, they just kind of have that opinion. I live here, so everybody's saved. Mm. Yeah, I, I tell our church a lot that that's one of the reasons I was, like, I felt a calling while I was in seminary to pastor in the Bible Belt because, of, because I have a heart for those kinds of people, um, those that think that they're saved and they're not. And, and I never, 
you know, I'm not implying any, anybody here is like that, but, but there's a lot of people in this area like that, and, and, and they're a different kind of mission field. Um, because when Jesus was here on earth, the, the prostitutes and tax collectors pretty quickly came to him, but the Pharisees who thought they were okay religiously actually hated him. Um, and so it's unfortunate that that's the case with modern-day people as well. Um, why do you think it's such a high statistic that so many kids leave the church when they get, when they get to college? I think a lot of them probably aren't saved. Um, I heard Billy Graham, and I thought, this was years ago, I heard him say a statistic. He said, I honestly believe that 80% of the people in the Baptist church aren't saved. Wow. I thought, wow, that, that's a lot. Because he said 20% of them do the work. And I thought, wow. But I really think that, now what's that question? I don't, I don't know why. What was the question? Why do you think it's such a high statistic that so many oh, kids that they leave, leave the, the church, church when they yeah, get Yeah, I think a lot of it is, is because, number one, they're, they're really not saved. Lack of discipleship. And some of it is, is things that we don't realize, a lot of us that are older, is that, oh, man, they have too many distractions. There are so many things pulling them away that you just wouldn't believe. One day I was doing a prayer walk on campus, and I was like, at one end, we have these two huge apartment buildings, and there's like a walkway in between them. And I was walking through there just praying, and it was like the Lord just spoke to my heart, and he said, look up. And there were just windows everywhere because there's windows in every one of those dorm rooms. And he said, I want you to look at these rooms. He said, just imagine in every one of those rooms, there was someone yelling at you to get off the sidewalk and to come over here and to go over there. That's the way it is in the lives of most of these students. They're trying to walk with Christ, but the world is so crazy and so many more things pulling at them that it's very hard to stay strong. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, would you say, I don't even know what question I'm trying to ask. So when, when your generation was in college versus the students now, would you say it's probably like 20 distractions to the one that you had? Oh, definitely, definitely. I can just remember students over the years. When I first started working with BCM, those were awesome kids. I mean, you know, they, they did all this stuff, and, you know, they didn't, ask, they didn't ask all these questions. You know, they just pretty much like, well, God said do it. Um, but today, and they question everything. I mean, and they're taught to do that. I mean, they question everything. You know, um, I don't know if when you were growing up, when I was growing up, my parents sometimes would say, they'd ask me to do something. I'd say, why? They'd say, because I said so. <laughs> There's no question. I just said so. Go do it. But these kids, and, you know, sometimes I just have to tell them, I said, why do I need to do that? Well, that's what Jesus said. You just do it. You know, you don't know why sometimes you just do it. That's what the Bible says. You do it. And they don't think like that. They don't think like that at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, our day questions authority so much, um, yeah. whether it's the, you know, speed limit or the president. I mean, it's, you know, um, what benefits do you think the younger generation can get from worshiping and fellowshipping with the older generation and vice versa? Oh, my word. You know, in a church, the younger people, like, you can't, you know, can go out there. She can go out there and play on that softball team and run circles around some folks. <laughs> but, so you have their energy, but they have, can get your wisdom. Yeah. And I think it's so sad when young people don't have that relationship with older people. Because, you know, in a lot of churches, you know, you're pretty much with your own age group all the way through. But that multi-generation really adds a lot. 
In fact, a lot of my daughter works in a mega church, and that's one of the things they're trying to do is get a lot of multi-generational groups together so that they can share experiences. Because I want you to think, like this age group, they, they do a lot of counseling among themselves and accountability and all, which is good, and we teach them to do that. But that's just like, you know, one of them's just as ignorant as the other one. So it's, sometimes it's the blind leading the blind. And I don't mean it that way, but you know what I'm talking about. But there's a difference when they go and talk to someone that's older, a little bit wiser, and has a T-shirt on that subject. So, you know, that, that's the difference right there. And they need that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the sad thing that American culture is the only culture in the world that sees youth as what to be strive for and, you know, getting older is a bad thing. Every other culture associates youth with foolishness and older age with, with wisdom and, and, you know, the crown of your life, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I, I think about that a lot um, of we don't need to get plastic surgery to, you know, continue looking young when we're 65 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just accept the crown of your life has arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, would you agree? I think you just commented on this some, but would you agree that the best kind of church is a multi-generational church? I think so. I think so. Because that way it's more like a family because, you know, families are like that. You got your grandparents, you got your parents, you got your children, you got your babies. Yeah, it just lets them see life. And so many of these students today, they do not see a typical family. Most of them, and you tell me, isn't it true? A lot of them, their parents are divorced. And if their parents are together, it's a mess. They don't have that. And they don't have grandparents. They don't have, a lot of them are so away from their immediate family and their extended family that they really don't have that stability. And so it's good for them to see that. I know I had a student I talked to a couple of weeks ago, and the family was going through a, a, a mess, and, you know, she said, I, I, I really don't know if I know of a family that really has had got a stable home. Mm. I don't know. Is that possible today? So, yeah, that, that's a very good thing. They need to see that. Yeah, and God has set up the church to be such a thing where that is where all the brokenness in people's lives, when you come into the church that's meant to be the place where you you see it repaired and restored. We're a we're an embassy of the kingdom of God here on earth. We're what heaven is supposed to look like here on earth um, in those ways. And I think it's good in a church for older people to have the younger people because they just kind of, when God says do something, they just kind of do it. Like I had a little boy, old Jonathan Lane. He accepted Christ this semester, and um, we went on a mission trip, and he was up there in the stands. We were doing a little thing at a school. And he was just talking to these big old basketball boys. I mean, big old boys. They were a lot bigger than him. And they were a little bit thuggish looking. And, and he was just, and one of those girls came over to me. She said, he's talking to them about Jesus. Well, we were on a mission trip. And, you know, that's what we're supposed to be there for. I thought that's kind of odd if you thought that. But anyway, later on, I was talking to him. He said, well, you know, we went to that missions conference. That lady said 95% of the people don't think, don't share the faith. And I thought, well, I don't need to be part of the 95. I need to be part of the five. So that's why I say those things. It's like, he just literally took that and did it. And, you know, that's the thing about young people. When they get fired up, they get fired up, and they will excite you. Mm. That's why I love working with them, because they just keep you excited. Yeah. 
What's your greatest desire for all the students you've ever had after they leave APAC? I always tell them, you need to go find a church that's on fire for God, and you need to find a place, go talk to the pastor. He'll probably fall out and pass out. <laughs> but you need to talk to the pastor or somebody in that church and find out, all right, where do I need to get plugged in? Don't just sit in the pew, but get plugged in and do something. Hmm. Um, and most, a lot of them do. They really do. That's what we try to talk to them about. You know, you can, you're not always going to have BCM. Now, BCM is geared a lot toward you and what your needs are, and it's very good for this time in your life. But you need to go to church, and you need to work with other people, and you need to get involved. Uh, and, and, and that's what I enjoy is a lot of them, they really do do that. I remember I had one girl, I went somewhere, and she was she was only about 25 years old. She didn't have any children. I don't think she was even married at the time. And they had her as associational GA coordinator. <laughs> I just went up to her afterwards. I spoke at that association. I said, what in the world are you doing, Vicki? Being a GA association, she said, well, they asked me to do it, and I woke up one night, and I saw your finger pointing in my face and say, Vicki, why aren't you going to do this? You need to serve the Lord. <laughs> and she said, I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's great because I, I remember my time in BCM. Ours was a lot. I don't know how to put this. Ours was a was a lot more easier to than, than I think y'all's is to to treat as your church. And it, we were constantly trying to ferry people away, like don't treat this as your church. Go find a church. And so I'm always glad that the BCM is is directing people to the local church because the BCM is not a church. Um, you don't practice the, the ordinances. You, you've only got, you know, 18 to 22 year olds and that's it. So yeah, it's, it's great that y'all direct people to the local church, which is God's plan. Um, all right. So what I always do when I have these conversations with people is I end it with rapid fire questions. You just got to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. And then when that's done, I'm just going to open the floor, see if anybody wants to ask you a question okay. here on the spot. So, um, what's your favorite book of the Bible? It was First John, but now I'm doing it because I was doing a bunch of discipleship with First John. Now it's getting to be Romans because I'm doing Romans with a lot of folks. So it's just whatever you're doing at the yeah. moment. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite movie? Uh, Hallmark Christmas movies. Oh. <laughs> Any of them. I love them because they're all the same. Uh, what three Christians have influenced you the most, famous or not famous? Okay, well, I'd say my husband, because there are a lot of times, you know, I thought, well, I'd just get aggravated or student make me mad or something, and I'm saying, I'm just going to leave, and he'd say, no, you can't do that. And I've just watched him over the years. My husband is a very intelligent businessman. I mean, he's really good. I'm not saying that's because he's my husband. And he, at one time, talked about wanting to go to law school or whatever, but he's really given up a lot, and he feels as called to this as I do. And so I would say him, because he's the only reason I'm probably still, well, God, but he, yeah, yeah. Two others, because three right. of them. All right, Miss Miss Sherry, that's from our church. She's always, I don't know. I've been going there all these years, and she's always done like jail ministry. She's just one of those lay people that she just did everything. Back to our Bible clubs, you know, and and now she's still much older, and yet she's still doing all this stuff. And it's like she's all. I've always looked up to her. And the third one is uh, probably my twelve-year-old Sunday school teacher. You know, I just remember her, and she would ask those hard questions, like, and I knew I was saved, but she'd just say, what does it really mean to be a Christian? And she would, you know, she's probably the first person I can ever remember asking me some of those hard questions and making me think. And I even think about some of those now when I'm talking to students, that yeah. she was not scared to ask. Yeah. 
Um, what's the best pizza topping? Pepperoni. Yeah. What's your three favorite songs to sing in church? Oh, I'm a little bit like Jonathan Chris, Victory in Jesus. Uh, I like Heart of Worship and Good, Good Father. Okay. What's the best restaurant in Tifton? It depends on, I eat somewhere I like it, and then I eat it until I just get tired of it. Ponder's <laughs> was, but now I ate there so much that I'm a little bit tired of it. So I'm beginning to like Oishi, that Chinese, Chinese place across the street from Walmart. But now Ponder's, if you hadn't been there, it's just like Wishbone used to be. It's great. If you like fried food, you'll get your cholesterol there. It's good. <laughs> I'm not familiar with where Ponder's is. It's across the street from Family Dollar and the Pineapple Post. Oh, okay. All right. I know what you're talking about now. Okay. If you could have lunch with any person from history outside of Jesus, who would you pick? I think I would do my mom. I mean, I saw that question. I thought about that. And I thought, my mom, because she died when I was fairly young. And there's just a lot of things. You know how you always have that? And you think, well, did you really know? Because I think about some of the ways I treated her. And I thought, you know, if I'd been older, I probably would have said, you know, mama, I shouldn't have done that. That was crazy. So it'd mm-hmm. probably her and just say, you know, Mom, I was really stupid, and I'm really sorry. Well, do we have any questions from the floor about anything we've talked about tonight? If not, then we will pray and be dismissed. You got five seconds. I appreciate y'all letting me come. I, I enjoy doing stuff like this. This is fun. I tell you what, we had one that was right. If the live one is watching, cut the feed or the current one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we had one that was a reign of terror. Uh, but but you know what, we had that guy. He was a reign of terror, and I might say he might have been probably the best one because while he was there, I'm not gonna say his name, but he (laughs) called me in. I was really young, and he called me in. I think he thought he could really intimidate me. And he called me and he said, I want you to know I can kick y'all off campus anytime I want to. This separates the church and state. He was from Michigan, so he, well, he didn't know anything about the South. <laughs> and anyway, when he said that, when he said that, I went to the association and I told him what he said. And I said, they could, because we were meeting in the chapel then and everything. And I said, they, they really could. And so the association started thinking, and it's like, well, we got to do something. And in time, you know, we built the part of the BCM that we have now. And then, you know, later on, association and several of you folks here, Mount Zion was a big part of that last part of that building. We built the last part of the building. And uh, I think, you know, it was a terrible thing. He was, he was awful. He'd stayed there much longer. We might not have had A-back. Enrollment went way down. Uh, I'll tell you a funny thing he did one day. Let's just tell you something about him. Is, you know, the air conditioner went out in the dorm. This was when we used to stay in school till June. You know, it goes in May. It gets hot especially in a dorm room, a dorm with about 300 people in it. And so they kept complaining, and nobody would fix it. And so they went over to the president's house because he lived on campus at the time. They knocked on the door and said, well, are you going to fix it? And he said, I don't care what you do. If y'all don't like it, just go sleep outside. Well, that night, 200 people took their beds, went outside, (laughs) and slept out on the lawn, called WALB. And you know what? The air conditioning was fixed in two days. So that was the best president, you're saying? Well, I think it, he was the worst, really, for the school, but he was the best in that we got the BCM building because of oh, it. Oh, gotcha. Okay, I get it. it. Yeah. Been for them. yeah. If you helped in the construction of the BCM building, raise your hand. 
I know Mr. Carl did. Yeah, I know Carl Goodwin did. I didn't know if anybody else had. Um, Larry yeah. helped, okay? Yeah. Carl um, lost his red hammer over there. He reminds me of that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? All right, well, Penny, we thank you so much for being here with us. We thank you for your service at ABAC. And um, it's going to be great that, you know, Adrian and I are still planning to come on Mondays and you're still planning to be there. So we get to continue serving there together. Um, but Lord willing, they'll, they'll hire somebody to take over all that paperwork um, and be able to help you out with that. And they are making some effort. There's, there's an interview happening this next week. You know, don't know what's going to happen, but it's, it's happening. You know, I, so I don't know. I don't know what the outcome will be. Okay. Well, let's pray for the BCM and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you for the BCM. Lord, I thank you for how the BCM has impacted so many students that are, are likely around the world right now, Lord. Um, and through Penny's labors, Lord, they are bearing fruit around the world uh, for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you'd um, have someone else be hired to take her place there. Um, and, and Lord, I pray that that person would be called by you to do um, the, the ministry. Lord, they're going to be different than Penny, and we know that. But, Lord, I pray that they would um, be able to make that ministry their own and continue to reach kids with the gospel. We thank you for her 42 years of service, and we pray that you'd be with her as she um, continues to serve kids and continues to disciple kids and continues to share the gospel. And, Lord, as she helps take care of um, the Newell's baby, um, Lord, I pray that you would bless her, that you would show her your grace. And, um, and Lord, I pray for students there at the BCM as they um, continue to um, walk with you and go on mission trips and meet for worship and meet for Bible studies. And um, I, I pray that you'd raise them up to, to reach the campus with the gospel. And Lord, I pray that your kingdom would spread through, the, through ABAC and, and ultimately through Tifton and through the world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.